One ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. One Aslan ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. The wheel of time turns and ages come and pass. The wheel of time turns and ages come and pass. The wheel of time turns and ages Welcome to the Books from Earth podcast. Now you will relive your favorite science fiction, fantasy, and apocalyptic literature. If you haven't read the book covered by this episode, do know that there will be lots of spoilers. Enjoy this story again with us, the Books from Earth podcast. Time to relive a favorite book. Welcome to the Books from Earth podcast special edition, where we will be reviewing and going over the new, hopefully awesome television show, The Wheel of Time. I am Maureen, your host for tonight, and I am joined by Josh. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Books from Earth. Jennifer. Hi. Hey, Jennifer. Welcome. Thank you. So we're very excited. Jennifer is a longtime Wheel of Time fan. We met at a book signing for the last book many, many years ago and have been friends ever since. (laughs) And so we're just going to sit here and talk about what we thought about the TV series. Let's start with overall impressions. What did you guys love? What did you hate? What did you think? All right. Well, uh, I kind of didn't know what to think because my mind was just kind of getting blown away uh, by this incredible epic series, fantasy series that is hitting the TV show. There's a ton of press about it. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's been anticipating about it. And I was just just taking it in completely in this being immersed in this fantasy world. Uh, There hasn't been a show like this in a long time that I've been feeling as enthusiastic about. And uh you know, having the first three episodes kind of drop all at once for me, I just got to, it was like I got to watch an epic fantasy movie three episodes in a row. Uh, you know, the the trip from uh, Edmonds Field, Two Rivers to, um, I'm going to say it wrong, because they said it differently in the movie. They said it like, Shagalabal. yes, yes. <laughs> How do we want to say it on the podcast? I always said Shadar Lagoff. I always said Shadar Logov, but I never read the back of the book to tell me how to, how to pronounce things. Not a glossary fan? Not a glossary fan. Not a glossary fan. And Josh, you've clearly read the books because you just mentioned Eamon's Field, which was a big change. They never even brought up Eamon's Field. They just came from the two rivers. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've read the books. It's been a while. Um I had I consumed a lot of other books since then. So uh, we'll, we'll see what I can recall. Um and uh, it was just, gosh, amazing series, amazing series so far. Really excited to continue watching it and continue to talk about it. Excellent. And Jennifer, what were your first impressions? See, I had not as positive of an experience. Don't get me wrong, I loved it. But I think I'm a little bit still a little critical of a lot of the unknowns right now. Because they changed a lot, and I want to know where it's going. Like, I'm going to give it a fair shake, and obviously I'm still going to watch it regardless. (laughs) Um, Let's be honest. Uh, But I think there were a lot of things that they changed, and I'm confused as to why. And I'm hoping that for, you know, efficiency of the storylines or however, like, that'll be made clear as the show continues. Um, But... I also know in my brain that I need to separate the two and I'm trying really hard to do that. (laughs) But that's what, so that is what actually makes me really excited is to talk about these changes because um, 
while it would be awesome to just be able to see everything that we've ever known on screen, um, it's also awesome to kind of get those new things. So I'm like, I too am trepidatious and we will absolutely talk about some of these changes and where, and where we can kind of like go with them. So excited to get into that. Um, For me, I'm kind of like, I am so on the high of, holy crap, this is finally happening, yes. that it's that it's hard for me to be critical. I mean, if if this is your first time listening to the podcast and you're just like stumbling upon Wheel of Time and you don't know anything about it, go look up Winter Dragon oh, on YouTube and you will kind of understand where a lot of the fan community is coming from because Wheel of Time got like, an ash can pilot that was absolutely it was it was not what we would have hoped for well, it, was, it was it was horrible right right yeah. well i thought what happened is nbc universal had the rights mm-hmm. and in order to maintain the rights after so many years they had to do something so they dropped winter dragon at like 3 a.m on like a tuesday i don't know what day of the week was but it was just randomly and then a bunch of the fan community saw it on their like guides and on Comcast or whatever. And we all started talking about it. Oh, what is it? And then it was just terrible. Like yeah. no effort put in at all. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that's actually pretty much exactly what happened, but it was a Sunday cause I went to work <laughs> on Monday. <laughs> but then I think they just the uproar over it. I think it made other people look and say, okay, well, and obviously there's a huge community that wants the show to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it, and honestly, it probably made people really excited to, you know, Amazon and Sony to kind of get these rights and get things moving. Um, but yeah, let's talk about, you know, what happened in the first three episodes that dropped turns out on Thursdays instead of Fridays. Um, so we start with Moiraine telling us about kind of a little bit of the history of, you know, Randland, as it's fondly known in the books. Who knows if they're going to come up with a name for it in the series. Um, And that she's on this she's on this quest to find, you know, the next dragon. And, you know, we get a little bit of the a little bit into the lore with the Red Aja chasing down a man who can channel. And he we get to see a little bit of his insanity um that that and kind of get a hint toward where that's going to go and then you know we go over to um the two rivers and we get to meet you know our our Emmons Field 5 and kind of get to get a look at their lives and their relationships and and you know the simple idyllic like shire like farm like farm life and you know on and Moraine and Land come and the night that they come winter night you know the Trollocs show up in this amazing um, scene, this ba- amazing battle scene. Great you know, it begins with Egwin's yeah. dance partner getting an axe through the back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And, you know, it was really fun. I think when we were watching it, you know, we were talking about how Winter Night was kind of like the, the candles floating off in the water um, and saying, you know, it was, it, Bell Time's supposed to be a really awesome, like, cheery Happy, festival. Yeah. Yeah, and then they immediately go into if we're gonna call our friends back from the dead, we gotta give them something to come mm. back to. And yeah, they that was a great line. Party. Great line. Yeah. Yeah. I did like that that they kind of gave that a historical context. In the book, there wasn't. You know, it's just like, oh, there's a belt that we have bell time fires, and there's essentially like a maypole, and 
that was it. Like, there really wasn't, like, and we drink. Like, <laughs> it wasn't, like, an established holiday. Like, they gave it a reason to for existing. Right. Which I liked. And so we end up, like, um, you know, Moiraine's like, we got to get the fuck out of here. And Nynaeve is, is dragged off, and we don't know what happens to her. Um, yeah, I was and, like, what is going to, I mean, ah, yeah. nice, she's getting dragged off. No, that's too big of a deviation from the books. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so Nynaeve is dragged off, and our, the Lan and Moiraine and the four set out, and they end up on their journey, and that is the end of the first episode, isn't it? We get our wheel of time turns and ages come and pass, which was, I thought, lovely. When is the Minethrin song? Was that episode two? Minethrin was episode two. You want to go for it? Because I think that that was near the start of episode two. Honestly, it all kind of runs together. So they sing the Minethrin song. And initially in the book, that was where Maureen tells, tells the story to the town, not to the, the four of them. So that was an interesting turn. But... They sing the song. She explains what it actually all means. And from there, they wind, they, the trollops are still chasing them. I'm trying to think what's in between there and the fairy. Yeah, I think, so it might be, Minethra might have come after Terran Fairy. We might have gotten Terran Fairy first because we don't know whether or not to trust Moraine. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and they're in some order, in some order, we get, the the beautiful Minethrin song, you know, led by Matt and Perrin doing the bass. That was so ooh, moving. Yeah, the and music has been good. The music has been good. Are you enjoying the music? That I'm is enjoying the music. we need to talk about. Okay. Bring <laughs> <laughs> your thoughts on the music. I have thoughts on the music. So, you know, we get we get our scene at Terran Ferry where Moiraine um, basically sinks the fairy, which she does in the book, but the ferryman does not go along with her. They, they, he tried in the books to rob them, mm-hmm. and you know, Land just ended up giving him more money. But you know, we get a little bit of our introduction into Aes Sedai and their and their kind of shadiness, their truths, yeah, yeah, with making no weapon to kill a man. Mm-hmm. And you know, Egwene, Egwene says, "How can?" this be true because you know you just killed that man and and Warren says he killed himself you know tough right. so we get a little bit of like the eyes to die heartlessness we get a little bit of the coldness a little bit of the um the decisions that they make and you know kind of like the lack of responsibility yeah right they explain i mean she explains the three oaths and how they work um that's about at the point, too, where they run into the White Cloaks for the first time. Mmm. Glorious. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. We opened with the White Cloaks. Mm-hmm. Open the second episode with the White Cloaks. Go for it. It was great. Yeah, I mean, it. she really... It was interesting to me that this is the way that they were introduced. That being said, I kind of like how Moraine is the one telling, being the narrator in the sense of, like, here's who they are and here's why they're bad. Don't say anything, you know, and she took off her ring, which I think kind of was supposed to kind of shock the kids and the audience. Um, and then the questioner comes up and she sees all of the Aes Sedai rings on, you know, his belt. And that's terrifying. Um, and yeah, I mean, they, luckily they had, uh, you know, they lied, they're not lied. They told their truth, but sort of through, 
you know, manipulating the white clothes to let them go. But yeah, I said, I truth is the, not the truth you think you hear. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And I thought that explanation was amazing after the fact. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. The, the white cloaks to me, it was like such a powerful thing. And the other thing that was crazy, though, is the white cloak says to Moraine, because she said that she's been injured by a trollic weapon, and he tells her, like, go to Whitebridge and find an Aes Sedai to heal you. That's the only way you can be healed, which I also thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. um, because the white cloaks typically, and even in the books, too, like, there's no gray area for them. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, so. we saw two sides of the white cloaks, just in the, the opening scene where they're, you know, burning. Yes. <laughs> the question is burning. Oh, my yeah. gosh. And and Bruce just ruthlessly with joy while, while he drinks his wine, you know, and and then and we see his whole whale. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, <laughs> so grotesque. Um, and then and then we have the scene where they meet in the woods. They meet the white cloaks in the woods, and the the one leader guy was compassionate, and then the questioner was, you know, brutally um, lustful for just doing some carnage on some I said I. And in, uh, if I recall correctly, we, we might see a divide like that in the in the White Cloaks later on in the in the books, if I remember. Hundred percent. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So they're already foreshadowing that. Yeah. What I think was interesting too is immediately they went in two different directions. Once they left Moraine, the White Cloaks split. The questioner went with one group, and the the leader went with the other group. So. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see where they wind up. But I'm just talking about from the context of the show. Like in the book, we know their trajectory. But from here, where they go is going to be interesting. Love that. Love that. It's not, it's not even it's that's a subtlety I think we picked up on because we've read the books. I'm wondering if the yeah. average TV watcher who's watching this who hasn't read the books or maybe that's not the average TV watcher who's watching this show. But for those who haven't read the books, whether or not they recognize the the two different natures that are existing within the white club. Mm -hmm. Right. Mhm. Mm Excellent. So the rest of the episode two, we got into Shadar Lagoth, which was loved it. Yes. The fallen city, the fallen city of Eridol. And of course there was lots of lore missing from that, which of course sadness. Um, but you know, I still I loved what they did with Mashadar taking the horse and, you know, it immediately shows the stakes and it's separating the kids and Matt getting the dagger. But of course, we're missing um, more death. We're yeah. missing more. Oh, that was kind of a loss. Yeah. Um, I always kind of pictured him as um, the mind, mind, mind guy from Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, like half him and half like Gollum. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, but we lost, so we lost more death and the kids got separated and, and Lan and um, Moraine ended up separated from them. And of course we end on that wonderful cliffhanger with Nynaeve putting her knife to Lan's throat and mm -hmm. completely surprising him. Yes. And that leads us into episode three, which is, you know, well, let's just talk about, we get to start we get the start of seeing Lan and Nynaeve in their relationship, which to me is very exciting because that's one of my favorite she's one of my favorite characters in all of literature ever, and their relationship is one of my favorite of all times. Mm -hmm. So we got that and then Egwene and Perrin end up going toward the north with um and meeting the Tinkers. And we end up with Rand and Matt 
going to the city or the little town. And I don't remember the name of the town. Do you guys remember it? That's cool. We'll look it up. Um, but they end up in the little town and they meet Tom Marilyn who had his Gleeman's patches on the inside of his cloak, which I thought was very cool. Um, because it still makes the character look slick and kind of sexy, but at the same time, it's that homage to... There was nothing in the books that made Tom sound sexy. That is very true. (laughs) He was charming, though, right? I'm sorry? He was charming. Yeah. Right. That was his uh, charisma, was sort of his his charm and his ability to talk. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I I can't wait to talk about the changes to Tom. That'll be fun. Um, So we get to meet Tom and Matt, you know, and his we begin to see his need for gold, you Mm -hmm. know, after he takes the dagger from Shadar Lagoth. And he's, you know, he's going and and grave robbing, Mm -hmm. you know, which was another interesting character choice. Well, it was super striking to have the Aiel just hanging there. Mm-hmm. with all the arrows in him and then hearing Tom explain like these were cowards that shot him because his veil was it wasn't up and mm-hmm. it was just that part was interesting it was an interesting introduction to the Aiel yeah. and the fact that they showed the hair and made it a point to say like this is redheads or or Aiels yeah so. yeah um, and then we met a dark friend mm-hmm. fabulous mm-hmm. love that actress want to see her in everything yeah, why was she, she wasted? was amazing yeah um, part of me wished, like, there was a part where I'm like, is she a dark friend or are they introducing a Forsaken early? Mm-hmm. Like, because she was so good. Yes. Um, yes. I, I liked her so much that I'm like, I can't believe you're going to call her a dark friend and probably kill her off. <laughs> <laughs> and then it happened. Yeah, there's some real chemistry with her and, and Matt and pl- her playing her role. And I was shocked when she revealed herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, and that level of deceit is something we get used to seeing in the Forsaken right. all the time. And and I thought, wow, they're introducing a Forsaken already. And I was like, yeah. oh, my dark friend. <laughs> yeah, same, yeah. I'm just like, I don't know. I was, uh, it, it was also interesting, too, her level of knowledge. Like, that she braided her hair like a Gwen. And so there was a, a certain level of understanding that she needed to have. That not only did she pledge herself to a cause, but she also somehow got a lot of information. So that part's interesting to me, too. Like, how they're going to explain that. All right. That brings us to something that we forgot to talk about. Okay. Which also leads to the Dark Friend Social. That's a little... I think that that's going to be a little nod to the Dark Friend Social in the prologue for The Great Hunt. Mm. So, for you non-book readers, there is... A very famous chapter of the books called called fancily nicknamed or affectionately nicknamed the Dark Friend Social, where they basically get instructions to all the Dark Friends and picture uh, and views of what everybody looks like. So I think that's a little nod to our Dark Friend Social. Um, but we forgot to talk about the dreams. Yes. And that they're, the dreams are already happening. You know, Rand coughed up all the bats. Mm-hmm. And then this incredible dream um, with uh, Perrin and a wolf eating Layla. We forgot to mention that, you know, Perrin and actually Mary. married. Oh, Perrin yeah. married. Yep. Yep. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, they did completely fridge his wife. <laughs> she was made for the intent of giving him a character arc. 
die. You know, made to die, made to die. So, but um, but I'm on board, and the and I want to do want to talk about some of the stuff that that might end up circumventing later on down the road. But and you know, Perry meets the wolves. Perry meets the wolves. You know, Perry meets the wolves. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and and so we get introduced to his wolf nature. Yeah. When I was what I was interested in too is they had the wolf come up and lick his leg. Mm-hmm. And part of me was wondering, like I guess it's not a trollic wound, but part of me is also wants to go back and figure out how he injured his leg. Mm-hmm. You know, like is it a trollic wound and is like the dog like it dog is the wolf like cleaning it is that significant or is it just showing that he that there's a connection there, you know? What do you think about um, the wolves and and kind of leaning into the mysticism of the wolves? And was that wound a trollic wound? And did the wolf cure it with the with the licking? Or is this maybe something that we don't know? Or was it just something that was a little bit weird? But I'm on board. I thought it was weird. Um, I was trying to think, OK, are they trying to be, because they're they're condensing things, mm-hmm. right? The TV writers are condensing things in their. They're trying to show things rather than tell. Um, and so what did they show us in that scene? Well, they showed that the wolves are extremely friendly with Perrin. Mm-hmm. They also showed that Perrin is not freaked out by the wolves. And I was trying to think, well, what could have been more of a gesture to show that right. than a, a wolf approaching open bleeding flesh <laughs> that's right, still warm absolutely. you know instead of biting right. it licking it yeah um and that's probably a um gesture of um you know by the wolf of of submission i'm mm-hmm. guessing um i don't know if parents are really getting that yet but we as the watchers of the tv show can go okay the wolves are hanging around this guy and they're not out to get him for sure, not a threat. And and so that's that's what I took away from it. As far as the wound, you know, was it sort of healed by the licking of the wolf? You know, I'm thinking, no, I don't think that's their magic. I think right. their magic is something else. And um, if they're if they can lick wounds and heal them, fantastic. But I don't think that's right. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> to send them to the battlefield you know (laughs) that's a good point it does set up some long-term like real quick solves you know (laughs) the stakes get dropped if the wolf can just lick you and heal your wound i mean get wolf ran a wolf after falma yeah yeah. send the wolves in send the wolves in (laughs) although that, that does happen later but um the uh the other thing that i thought too about that is is that little gesture replacing Elias as the introduction to wolves? That is an interesting question. Like, as far as we know, he hasn't been cast yet. And I know my theories about all the characters who aren't there that should be, is gonna, they're going to change a million times. Mm-hmm. But I'm just interested in if, if this, the way his introduction to the wolves, that they're not th- a threat to him. And like just starting off, with that, I mean, that was Elias's first kind of point to Perrin is that, you know, they won't attack, like, they won't attack you, like, you know, and I think after that, it's like, well, what do we need Elias for? I mean, we right. do, we still have, you know, but mm-hmm. I just wonder if that's going to be kind of solved in a different way. Yeah, 
Yeah. So, so Elias was the other character in the books who could talk to wolves and yes. wolves could talk to him and and do basically the whole wolf mysticism. Uh, and, and Elias becomes sort of a mentor for Perrin. Are we going to have to just cut that character out because there's just not enough time? There's too much going on. Or are they um, going to bring him in later? We don't know um, as far as the TV show goes. Uh, but yeah, maybe that scene was to sort of say it was Perrin's education um, just experienced organically rather than having another human on board to like sort of. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I love this conversation. Let's move over into this. Like what characters are we missing, you know, and and what are we losing in not having these characters? Like with Elias, we're we're losing you know, parents introduction into kind of the wolf um, aspect of his nature. Right. Um, but, you know, can that be filled by him meeting Hopper? You know? Right. And, yeah. and so if we, and Elias kind of made him feel better because, you know, when his eyes turn gold, he begins to understand. And he has that mentor that takes him and kind of walks him through the initial stages of the change. But what, so what else would we be missing if we were not to get Elias in the series? And if we don't get Elias, then what do we need to make up for and how could it be done? I think I would hope that there at some point is some other human he interacts with. Even, you know, we had talked previously about maybe it's like a warder pulling double duty who's going to be Elias and someone's warder or something like that. But or it could be something that Maureen knows about or Tom or like who knows. But um, I think he just he needs some somebody to tell him, even if they try to do some sort of telepathy with the wolves. I don't know. You know, um, but technically, Elias, as much as I love him as a character, he could be replaced by some deeper telepathic immediate connection that Perrin will have with a wolf. Right. And and what we would need is for somebody to tell Perrin that he's not insane. Right. Like we need we Perrin needs a human being to say it's OK what you're about to walk through. Yeah. Can we. Stay on Perrin, though, for a hot second and talk about character. Not a character that was removed, but one that was added. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. What do you what do you think about Layla, Josh? Layla, Layla Ibarra, Perrin's new wife. OK, so this goes to my sort of the thing I disliked the most about yep. the TV um, was the advancement in maturity of the starting place for the characters. All right. Um you know, it, I, it felt so it just from a pure TV place, it felt a little tropey and a little too fast uh, in the books. One of the things I actually liked was sort of the purity of the characters, the, uh, you know, naiveness of them and um, to see their development throughout the series right. of growing up. Yeah. And. Here we have the main characters, you know, already the the romance has already gone, come and gone in some ways. And so anyway, Perrin has a wife, you know, in the in the books, one of the running sort of jokes about him was he couldn't get a date. 
you know. So (laughs) so now he has a wife and she's working the forge while he's at the party. And it's just a little like, okay. And I think, yes, she was just a a setup piece um, so that we could get his story arc when he accidentally axes her um, when they are when the two of them are wonderfully fighting some Trollocs. And, um, you know, he was he thought, you know, she came from behind him and and or he heard a noise and he just swung his axe without looking and he hits her in the gut. She bleeds out in front of him. He's heartbroken and obviously carrying a ton of guilt. And, you know, what. Okay, so that's part of him coming coming to terms with that is going to be a big part of his story arc. So we can predict why else would they do that? Because we don't ever really get to know his wife, really. Um, she's a one-dimensional, you know, stage piece, um, right. and and so we we just don't really know. There's not much to think about her other than how she, you know, is going to uh, uh, stay in parents' mind. Um, right. That's that's my total takeaway from that. It felt a little tropey, and um, uh, if they now if they develop that story arc really well, then we'll be like, it was worth it. If they just kind of fade it out or if it just becomes this kind of repetitive, I feel guilty, I feel guilty, you shouldn't feel guilty, you shouldn't feel guilty, but there's no movement on it, I'll be disappointed. Right, right. I didn't like that they they insinuated that there were maybe marriage issues, but didn't come out and say it. They also suggested that she might be pregnant, but didn't come out and say it. So there was a couple things where... Like, essentially, if you go to a party and your significant other stays at home, like, it looks off. It doesn't look right. And so he tries to go home to be supportive, and there's kind of some distance there. It's a little weird. And then he comes up behind her and grabs her stomach. So you're like, wait, is she pregnant? And then she dies. So I don't, there wasn't even an exchange to show that they were like a very loving, into each other couple. For him to have the guilt, um, granted, obviously, he still have guilt for killing her, but it just was weird. Like, I don't know why they did it that way. Uh, I And, again, like how you were saying, Josh, like, you wanted, you wanted them to grow organically like they did in the book, and they've been created to be, to have matured really quick. Like, the backstory they gave Matt with his messed up family, Rand and Egwene are very active in their relationship. Um, and with parent, I'm like, did we need that? Like, can't he just be like the Eeyore of the group and (laughs) just kind of grow into, into this wolf brother and, you know, who he becomes? The other thing that was kind of a bummer is Master Luhan not being there and running the forge. And even if the purpose of Layla was to kind of fill that void of somebody running the forge, Mm -hmm. it still doesn't feel right to me. Like, right still feels like something's missing. Right. So I'm going to jump in because the, you know, this is, it's an adaptation and we have definitely lost something by not, by losing the innocence and going directly to them being mature adults. You know, part of the reason why they have become so, um, beloved characters is because we got to be there when they grew up. Right. And so it's hard to lose that. Um, and, you know, giving, giving Matt his tragic backstory, giving Perrin his tragic backstory, you know, one of the things that 
like I really cherished about the characters was how different each of them were, right? Even though they're still coming from the same place and it doesn't have to be for a reason. Like all of that said, eyes on eyes on a couple seasons down the road if we get there. Um and super spoilery territory. But like and and Jen and I were kind of talking about this a little bit. When one of the big problems in like the Perrin Fail relationship that is coming up is Perrin gets very controlling. Perrin gets very physically violent. Um, you know, with cooperation. Mm-hmm. Like it's a little it's a little more kink and a little less abuse. Yeah, um, I was gonna say right. to... <laughs> But um, you know, like it, it he gets to the point where he is actively trying to make decisions on her behalf that she does not want. You know, he tries to keep her out of battle. He tries to, um, you know, he tries to protect her when she very much wants to be there. He makes her choices for her. And because of that, like, Perrin became a very unpopular character. And, and very unlikable to a lot of people. So if we introduce this backstory for Perrin, where he's got this trauma and he's got this tragedy, later on down the road, it's going to, and I don't like that this is the case, right? But it's it's going to be a lot easier for the audience to maintain a sympathetic relationship with Perrin when he meets Fael and she's saying, I'm, I'm going to go into battle with you. And he's saying, no, you got to sit out. Right. And, um, when she gets kidnapped by the Aiel and the Shido down the road and Perrin is hell bent on getting her to the point where he captures, tortures people, you know, basically turns into the darkest version of himself this will serve a purpose because he will be able to maintain a a sympathetic character. And so that's kind of like where I'm looking at that later on down the road. And for Matt's, um, Matt's tragic backstory, like the line that really jumped out to me was his mother looking at him and going, you are just like your father. Right. Mm -hmm. Because what we got in those few moments was that his father consistently abandoned his mother Mm -hmm. for other women. And when Matt is running into the stone of tear to save the girls, another hotspot, another hotly contested, like, is Matt a sympathetic character in this situation? Mm -hmm. Right. He wants a thank you. Right. For something that nobody asked him to do. Right. And then you have the other side where the girls are being hard headed and they're like, no, we could have done this ourselves when they couldn't have. They were going to die. Right. So we get this care, this these character decisions from Matt. And I mean, Matt is. He can be very unsympathetic at times. He abandons his friend. He's constantly in a state of do I abandon my friends? I don't like being pulled back, you know. And if he's constantly trying to go back to the two rivers to save his sisters, 
it's going to make him a much more sympathetic character in like book five when he's trying to book five. Well, in, in the right before the battle of um, with Ravine, if he's trying to go back to the two rivers to get his sisters, people are going to side with him and understand instead of seeing viewing it as Rand is uh, Matt constantly abandoning being land. Selfish. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I didn't. Ex- one thing I did not expect is to get through episode one and two, and have Matt be my favorite character. Interesting. Like ha- of of the of the three boys or the or the five. Uh, I did not. I thought of all of them, Matt's the one who was morally sound, and mm-hmm. I don't know. It. I just feel like just his constant what like wanting to look after his sisters that his parents went into hiding with the Trollocs and no one thought to go find his sisters and that that was his responsibility and he made sure they were well taken care of and you know that was on him and I did not I did not anticipate that when I sat down for the show like thinking like I'm gonna come out of this liking Matt the most like did not (laughs) see that coming And he's, right. and he's flawed. He's, 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 oh, we, we know he kind of has a gambling problem right. and maybe a womanizing problem. And yet his, they live in poverty. I mean, they sleep on like, you right. know, we saw the, where they live compared to where Rand lives, you know, and where Egwene lives. And um, it, it, so he's even kind of more sympathetic because we can understand why he needs to um, be desperate, you know, because right. he's in desperate straits, um, a deadbeat you know, dad and two younger girls to take care of. And he apparently doesn't have really much training. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And I, I also just liked his, um, I like how he looked. I think he kind of, in some ways matched kind of how I thought Matt would look when I, in the books, it was was a close enough match. I was like, Oh yeah, it fits right, you know, into my head right away. Um, He might've been one of I haven't thought of it. Who's my favorite of the five, but I think, I think I'm with you on that. He, yeah. I think he was my, my favorite. All right. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Other people on changes. Yeah. Do go for it, please. Other people in changes. Um, I didn't like that. They waited so long to introduce Tom. Mm-hmm. It drove me absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. I think the way that they introduced Tom was interesting like he's written in the books is the first time you meet him he's this flamboyant you know like obviously attention seeking he's a gleeman but like he's always performing and it was kind of a letdown that he gets up on stage plays a really sad depressing song (laughs) then gets off and then like essentially not attacks Matt, but steals from him and is kind of a dick, like, you know, and then obviously he, he thinks he settled things up with Matt and they, you know, have an understanding and all of that. And he kills the dark friend. But it just there were certain choices made about Tom that I'm kind of iffy about. And one, like, besides all the stuff that I mentioned, the other thing that I had spoken to Maureen about earlier that I wonder if they chose him again, because looking towards the end of the series, because he would be someone Moraine would be attracted to. Like, you could look at this guy and think, okay, I can see it. 
I can't look at that guy and see the guy who Elaine sat on his lap and pulled his mustaches. Like, like <laughs> I can't see that. But, you know, I, I'm conflicted mm-hmm. with Tom. Mm-hmm. You know, I do like that we got in the first ep- the first sighting of him, like in that episode, that he's the one he threw that dagger through the dark friend's throat. Like that's such a Tom move. So I'm glad that happened, and I'm glad that he was the one to explain the whole Aiel thing um, to Matt. But I am very conflicted that the rest of the group doesn't know who Tom is yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what would you need for them? What would you need to happen in order? Like, what would you need to happen in order for Tom to be, it, Tom to, like, kind of take his place in the show? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think, I think it's difficult because it all depends on how they wind up having them all meet back up. Mm-hmm. Like, is it going to be in Camelin? Is it going to be somewhere else? Like, we have no clue how they're moving on because they've already, Lan and Moraine and Nynaeve have already taken a turn. Mm-hmm. From where the book nor- where it normally goes, um, Perrin and Egwene aren't with Elias. They're with Tinkers, but are they going to now run into the White Cloaks or no? Because they've already run into the White Cloaks. Mm-hmm. So, and Rand and Matt are in a city that they were never in in the books. So, I, I don't know where they're going to meet back up. Mm-hmm. And I think that is kind of going to depend on how I would want Tom's character to evolve mm-hmm. and develop. I don't know. I'm... I'd like to see, yeah, I'd like to see Tom um, kind of mm, not be so, such an independent. That's what I'm looking for. It felt like in the book he was kind of part of the pack. Yeah. And here I'm thinking of as more of like a Han Solo guy. Um, Han Solo ends up joining the pack, uh, but reluctantly. And, and, and I, I'm hoping I was hoping, you know, in, in the books, Tom's character, yeah, was more you, you knew what side he was on and right. his heart was really good. And here uh, so far, he's kind of a maverick, um, right. he's a good singer, apparently. Um, and he's obviously quite knowledgeable. Uh, and he, he he's willing to kind of go with the with Matt and um, Rand. So cool. All right. All right. But whose side is he on his side? Does he care? You know, where is he at? So I'd like to see his his um, position declared eventually by something that he does um, that doesn't just seem sort of to be like um, self-serving. Well, self-serving or a step above Good Samaritan in a way like, you know, um, that he kind of gets the bigger picture. That's what that's what I kind of need to see, see, see in his character. Yeah. Okay. So when I I hated Tom <laughs> the first time I met him. So it's well, it helps that that this Tom is sexy. You know, he doesn't look like Gandalf, which is kind of how I pictured him Same. in the books. So, you know, it helps that he's a little bit sexier. Um, but you know, I of the world. Tom, the first thing he does is starts making fun of Rand and Matt, you know, by like, you know, he's sit, he's sitting there saying we've traveled all over the world. And and I bet you're, he's, he 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 tests the boys and says, you know, well, it sounds like you guys are are very well traveled. And Matt's like, oh, yeah, we've been to the mountains of mist and blah, 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 blah. And he's laughing at him. And Nynaeve has to turn and say, you know, you shouldn't make fun of people. And then. Like, you know, Tom is just, 
he's not he's not there to protect what well, he's there because he hates eyes to die you know and yeah. he just you know him and Moraine kind of know each other and they know of each other but he just wants to keep the boys out of the hands of Aes Sedai because of everything that happened with his nephew. You know, he doesn't he doesn't go along because he feels a, he does. He goes along out of spite. You know, he goes along out of hate. Well, I also wonder if he looks at if he sees his nephew in Matt, like almost mm. instantaneously, like if he takes a liking to Matt. Mm immediately and that's why he decides to join them like if he draws that parallel you know that would be fun to see like, yeah and matt is a tavern yeah yeah could, could pull him pull a guy like that in yeah absolutely Interesting. the other the other character who i was bummed not to see is bill doman mm-hmm. and there there's a hint that we may get him in the next episode but if it, Re- we remind us who bill doman is i'm sorry remind us who he is so, Bail Dolman is a captain of a ship, and he has a wonderful accent, and he's pretty much just a supportive character throughout, but he pops up in the best spots, and just every time he, every time he shows up, it's just kind of happy. It's like seeing an old friend. And he's the brightest thread in the pattern. <laughs> yeah, he is. He just, there is, so when... Uh, my my boyfriend he li- he listened to the audiobook of the first book, and I was there with him. And I start like smacking his leg in excitement, like my favorite character's coming up. And uh, he's like, seriously, like the ship's captain. I was like, I know he's just so great. And then he, we get they get off the boat, and he's like, I don't understand. I'm like you will just wait. <laughs> he's, there's just something about him that makes you want to be his friend. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I do be saying. Yeah, I do be saying. <laughs> I do be saying. Um, so he's not required. He's not a requirement for the story and the expediency of the story, but I would love to have him. Well, we're gonna have to pour one out for Bale Doman if he is not included. Like he, he is also one of my favorite characters. Josh, do you remember who Bale Doman is now? Yes, I'm remembering, and I, I remembered from the books that there was a, sh- a a boat involved in the in the 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 folks escaping and and making progress. Yep. along the way uh yep. and and there was no boat um other than that quick little ferry trip and uh so yeah i was remembering uh and um that's just one of the you know the novels were so layered yeah. and so multi-dimensional uh with the world building and and just gonna wonder if um you know on tv they're just they're just like we're, we gotta you know gotta stay within a budget you know what what, what do <laughs> right. we what can we cut out jeez um, yeah. well, but it'd be, it'd be great if they can bring him in somehow, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, like that dark friend, uh, in, in the third episode was a great cast, you know, just mm-hmm. this, it really, for me, galvanized that episode, at least that the scenes with Matt and Rand, like, and, you know, just a really intriguing character. And, you know, if, so even if it's a small role, having, having Bill Doman come in here and there, um, right. could provide a lot of oomph to an episode. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm with you. So he he may be like a tertiary character, but he is really important. So Bale Doman, we, if we lose that character, we have a lot of ground to make up. He's got one of the seals to the Dark One's prison. He's got a lot of information on the Shan Chan. And he, he ends up with, what's your buttons? Can't remember her name right now. Swan Sanchez? No, no, no. He doesn't end up with Swan. He ends up with um, the Shanshan woman. Uh, 
and then she changes her name. So yeah, he he ends up he ends up with oh, Gareth Byrne winds up with Swan. Yeah, Gareth Byrne ends up with oh, Swan. Well, who am I missing? Um, Aginan. Aginan. Mm-hmm. He ends up with Aginan, the Shanchen woman, and like he. He just does. There's so much ground to make up if we lose Bale Doman. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be hard to lose that character. And, like... I mean, they could stumble across a seal somewhere else. You know? I mean, it would suck. That's true. Extra seal in Ruridian. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Um, but, yeah, he is one of those recurring characters that that it may be... I don't know. I still have hope for that. I still have hope for Bale showing up because they did. The you, dark friend mentioned the fastest way is to travel by boat. Yeah. So maybe that'll maybe. happen. Fingers crossed for Bale. Um, but any other like characters left out or any other things left out or brought in that you thought were really cool or like I loved that we got to see the battle at, at like on Winter Night. Yes, because that wasn't even covered in the books at all. Right. We only got Rand's perspective. Oh, the fever dream. Yeah, that's where I was going next. It's like, Go for it. I, in the books, when Rand is taking, after Tam's been injured and Rand is taking Tam back to the two rivers, back back to Emmons Field, um, Tam has this fever dream and starts talking about how essentially he adopted Rand. And Rand had never heard the story before and it Tam was in a battle and, you know, goes through all this, found a baby lying in the snow, picked him up, brought him home. Rand's a good name, all this stuff. And Rand was just, had never heard about any of it before. Then when his father was healed and Rand was leaving, there was never time to talk about it. The fact that they didn't show any of that is curious to me because what is, that's part of Rand's conflict. It's not just not trusting Aes Sedai that, you know, is bothering him. It's that is usually the crux of it, or in the books was the crux of it. It's like, who really am I? And now there's this Aes Sedai saying that we're more special than anybody. And how do I, how do I know that when I don't even know who my parents are? Mm-hmm. You know, and it was interesting that they took that out, but we don't know if maybe it's going to be a flashback or, if they're just going to leave it out completely. I mean, who knows? Mm-hmm. So one of the things I was thinking, if I remember correctly from Eye of the World, Rand and Matt are on the road for a while. Mm-hmm. And Rand does end up telling Matt what happened with Tam's fever dream. But Matt doesn't remember it because, because of, the of the holes in his memory and the dagger. So I'm wondering if we are going to get that on the road because we do – you know, have from the trailers what appears to be the blood snow right. and the battle at Dragon Mount. Right. Um, with that fucking kick-ass Aiel taking that Ilyaner mm-hmm. uh, to town. But, um, you know, we might end up with that. And then the other thing was, you know, Nynaeve healing Moiraine. Oh, God. You pointed that out. Go for that. So... We started, like, high-fiving each other in the middle of that episode because we thought Nynaeve was going to go up to Moraine and accidentally heal her. You know, like, try to look at it and hope it was healed and, you know, somehow figure that out. Um, instead, she created a poultice, you know, and it is doing what it can for her. But we also kind of think that, or had talked about that maybe 
once she goes and meets the other sisters, that a sister's going to try to heal her and realize that there's already threads there from somebody else trying to heal her. Right. That Nynaeve had maybe tried unknowingly, unbeknownst to her, and trust and touched the source and tried to heal her. And some of the things that we're, we're kind of looking at and where we might actually have a hint at that is um, that you don't see the weaves if you don't know that they're there. Right. And particularly when we got Moraine teaching Egwene with the stone, the Kisera mm -hmm. in her hand, you had the threads of, you could, Egwene, the threads of channeling appeared around the Kisera the mm -hmm. more she concentrated, but she couldn't see them at first. Right. So if Nynaeve doesn't know that she's channeling and Moraine is knocked out, there's nobody there to see the weaves. Oh, good point. Good point. Right. I like the so, weaves. Uh, say that for me again. I like the weaves. Right. I like yeah. seeing the weaves. Like we got to see the weaves in, in Moraine's battle when they battled the Trollocs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they were amazing. Um, uh, it was really cool to see magic up front like that. Yeah. yeah. We haven't had a series with magic that much invested in displaying the magic yet. Yeah. I think that's what might set this series apart from people who want to compare it to Game of Thrones, for example, where we saw tons of steel, but not really much magic at all. And uh, or um, the the Lord of the Rings series where the magic was just sort of assumed, you know, just say some elven words and then, poop, you know, the, the magic happens or whatever, <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> um, but you didn't like see the magic working and do its thing or the effort involved. You know, you didn't see the effort involved. Um, and and so this series has a chance, I think, to make its mark in doing that. So but you in your just discussion. You brought up the idea of that if there's no characters around who can see the weaves, are they going to show us the audience? the weaves? Well, so here's the other thing, like tying that together with how did Rand get through that door? Yes. Right. Right. So Ironwood door. No, he can channel, so we can't see the weaves yet, which is going to be real interesting when we get to Loghain, mm -hmm. because we've seen in the previews, we've seen that we can see Loghain channel. Mm -hmm. Very exciting. Yeah. I like the actor playing Loghain as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, they also Rosamund Pike in an interview had said that. She liked that it's she insinuated or that each channeler has a different way of channeling. And she said, I was I was glad that I could choose how Moraine channeled and work on that. And I wonder if each eyes to die is kind of gonna be a little different in that way, mm -hmm. which will be really cool to see. I also hope, and I, I we didn't really get a lot of it from Moraine, a little bit when you saw her pull from different elements. You saw her pull fire and stone and things like that. But I'm also wondering when you get into some of the more, like, in-depth channeling and, you know, that they, not spells, but I don't know what you call it, that they, but the weaves that they cast when they're pulling from different elements. Mm -hmm. Like, I'd be interesting, to, it'd be interesting to see if they kind of, talk through that and how that works. So love that.
because one of the things that I noticed was when Warren healed Tam, she was pulling from herself. Mm-hmm. So that was the spirit. And of course, like the reason why Nynaeve is such a powerful healer is because Nynaeve pulls from all of the elements. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if we're going to see like all of the yellows just pulling from themselves and their spirit. And then we get this beautiful yeah. like Nynaeve reaching out for the rocks and reaching out for the fire and reaching out for the air, reaching out for the water and then reaching within herself and pulling it all out and shoving it into someone so that she can make them better. Like right. that would be fucking awesome. Right. Yeah, we've never really had, I'm trying to think of anything I've ever seen fantasy TV or movie otherwise, where we had like magic battles that were mm-hmm. cool to watch. Yeah. You know, the, the CGI just wasn't there. Uh, um, and, or, or the series, the series itself that was being put into the TV or the movie didn't put the emphasis on magic like Wheel of Time does. Right. And and here we have, we, we have, it's just like magic isn't like everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And and it's cool. Like, it's not cheesy. It's like, I hate, like, I know it's a terrible thing to say, but there's so many times magic has been such a cheesy thing where it's like, there's no, I loved what you said. There's no effort in getting the magic, but in like, you know, we've seen time and time, like we saw time and time again in the first three episodes where channeling magic is an effort and it takes you know it takes something from you it takes strength to do and it and you really have to be connected to something Mm -hmm. it's not it's not the problem solver right Mm -hmm. and it's not it's not just organically you always Mm -hmm. like it's not just 100 percent from within you right and the great thing that like comes from that is it ups the stakes because magic has the potential to fail. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's cool. <laughs> like, and, and it does. Mm-hmm. Like, it does fail, like, later on in the series. Right, absolutely. So, I and I can't think of anything else. Um, And I know I'm probably missing something obvious and somebody will tell me, but, like, I can't think of anything else where magic was magic was kind of set up to fail and the success was the thing that was um success wasn't guaranteed because it's like you know harry potter as soon as you learn the magic it's pretty much guaranteed that you can do it right um lord of the rings if you've learned the magic it's pretty much guaranteed that you can do it um well lord of of the rings magic was only for like Elves, right? And wizards. And wizards. And wizards. Um, Gandalf. <laughs> Gandalf. Sauron. And so, and, and it was never really, it was never really explained. Right. You know, elves right. are just magical, and that's great. Um, or and and Gandalf can can, you know, do really powerful things, and and it's he does get fatigued from doing them, um, but it's not clear why sometimes he's like, it's kind of like, why don't you do some magic, dude? You know, because it seems like you got all this tons of magic, and then there'd be these scenes. You're like, well, some magic would really solve that. Come on, Gandalf. You know, it's like, so, but it's not explained. It's not explained. Yeah. (laughs) And here, the magic, you know, we know the author 
to the books goes through painstaking detail about the magic. And I'm glad that the TV series is, at least so far, seems to be doing it justice. We'll see. Are they going to bring out the subtleties that, that we've just been discussing? Are they going to keep up with the CGI budget that's involved with it? <laughs> you know, um, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I hope they do. Uh, I, again, I think that's I think that's how this series makes its mark. Um, yeah. So, Josh, you mentioned the music. Like, is that something else that you think is going to set this series apart? Uh, well, there's there's basically, I'm going to say, four groups of music, four buckets of music, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, the intro music, um, I don't think is going to set it apart. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of like this celtic blend kind of thing going on which i like um but i think it's gonna set apart the other music is sort of like the background music that's just kind of going on sometimes and um it it's dramatic i i kind of they're kind of going for it you know i think that they're really trying to go for it in the music we'll see how it goes i'm not sure if that's if that's going to set it apart if they but if they keep continuing with it and and buying into it and keep it quality it might so the music that for me the other bucket of music that really stands out for me is is uh, like like tom's song in the mm-hmm. pub in the small village where uh, matt and rand find themselves um it was probably some original song i guess i don't know maybe it was taken from you know old an old english tune or something i don't know but it struck me as being original uh and um i thought they did pretty good at capturing what a gleeman can do okay with that song because he made everybody it was it was kind of like a heavy song and in the books we hear about the heavy songs the fun songs the light songs the romantic songs we hear that the gleeman can really communicate the emotion and evoke it from the whole crowd you you were like no one was immune from the gleeman's tune and uh here we saw that in the scene did i particularly like that song am i like downloading it and listening to it no (laughs) however it was the quality of it I thought was served the purpose of introducing us to what the power of a gleaming can be. And so right. that's, that's why I really liked it. Nice. And then there nice. was the other bucket was the, um, uh, the, the man, uh, I'm going to say it wrong again. I couldn't, you couldn't even get it right in my head when I read the books. Mantharin. 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 Um, uh, t- song where they, the, the, the kids were singing in harmony. It was really nice. Mm-hmm. It was really nice. It was kind of pleasant to listen to. And yeah, um, some shows it can't can't pull that off with the casting that they have probably yeah or don't want to and you know in, in fantasy series music lore telling tales is often a part of the tapestry of the story and so here they're not shying away from it and so far i'm happy about that excellent yeah excellent I understand. I get that. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about the music, Maureen? <laughs> well, <laughs> all right, well, Jennifer. So here's like this is kind of my pithy synopsis of it is if you liked Sting's Desert Rose album, <laughs> you will like the music from Wheel of Time. I am I did not like Sting's Desert Rose album, but I understand how people do. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, it's one of those things where it's just, it's not my style. And that's kind of like, but the thing is, is again, that has nothing to do with the quality of the music. You know, it's just not my style. Um, So, yeah, I mean, 
a lot of people like Sting's Desert Rose album. I believe it went platinum. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. It's not your style. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and and there's so maybe it will be <laughs> by the end of this. <laughs> by the end of season 15. <laughs> from the two on the map, like from the two rivers, where is it geographically based from our world? Um, so I believe it is, it, I don't know that it, it's a one-to-one match because no. if we're looking at Randland, it looks like Spain. Yeah. So if it's Southern Spain, but that's not, but the, it's Southern Spain that's the size of a hemisphere. Right. So I, I think geographically, I don't know that it is anything in particular. Okay. Matching up. Yeah, I was wondering if there was a clue in that as to the origins of some of the music choices. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's an interesting thought. Because it, it sounds, kind of how you said, Josh, like Celtic adjacent, mm-hmm. almost, but not quite. I don't know. Kind of new agey Celtic adjacent, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also had a little tinge of, like, originality to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they 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 keep on investing in the music like that. Um, yeah, it didn't. Hmm. So this goes to one of my concerns about the series. Okay. Mm-hmm. Are they trying too hard? Okay. They absolutely are. They 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 are trying very hard, which is very pleasing. The world building, the clothing. Um, the, the, the scene, the scenery, you know, was, I thought it was solid, you know, they don't have a billion dollar budget and I thought they still really put some money into like, um, sh- I, this is like Manetheran. I could never get it in my head when I read the book. So it's hard Shigar to Lagoth. Yeah, Shigar Lagoth, <laughs> you know, um, uh, it reminded me of some of the investment in the Hobbit movies and the Fellowship of the Ring movies, you know, similar, you could tell it was like not a real place but you right. could also see they they went to great detail to like to to bring you there like you could, you got to be willing to have a pretty strong uh suspense of disbelief when you watch fantasy um but you you kind of need at least enough to help you and so here this the some of the scenery was was you know plenty plenty to get into the world building um so yes i'm glad they're spending a lot on that there was a little too many sweeping vista scenes for me you know like two seconds sweeping sweeping vista um i i was felt a little tropey like to okay so you're gonna do a panoramic for like two seconds and that's supposed to communicate to me that they traveled really far or it's a really distant land um it's beautiful i like sweeping panoramics so I, it's not like they detracted but it was just i just felt like they were hitting me too much with some of these things that are supposed to like wow me um mm-hmm. and um and then so the music, too, was the you know, music, music was pretty thick. And and uh, I'm just wondering if they're 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 um, going to try too hard instead of. And again, I think my other criticism about the romance and the sex being up front right away. Mm-hmm. Are they trying too hard to, like, make the point about the connections that people are supposed to have instead of letting us subtly experience those connections? Mm-hmm. And um and the pace, the pace, of, you know, it's really feels um, a little choppy because mm-hmm. they're trying to, you know, 
take this, take that, take this, take that, take this. And as people have read the books, we can kind of go, oh, yeah, so we could expand on that one thing that was just done in that five minute, one minute scene. Um, but I'm wondering if the TV watchers never seen the books are going to be like, huh, what did that happen? You know, and, and have to, like, go look it up on the Internet. What did I just see? You know, so um, are they trying too hard? And is that going to exhaust viewers who aren't into the books? That's one of my concerns. I, I absolutely agree. And I think they they they're trying too hard for well, I mean like I said, they're trying very hard. And I think it's because for them, like these are huge avid fans of the books that are making this show. And for them it's like a life or death situation. And like if this season doesn't do well, you know, it's gonna it could be the beginning of the end for this show that they have invested so much time and energy in. But there are certain pieces where I'm like, did this, this feels a little push. Like the fact that we open and Egwene's in blue and Nynaeve's in yellow. Mm-hmm. It's like, <laughs> do, do, do we really need this? Like, you know, I don't know. There's certain things like that. And then with the sex with Egwene and Rand, it's like, we didn't need that, but I wonder if they're like, people love sex. Let's make them have sex. Like, you know, like a part of me wonders if they're like, because people are looking at it like Game of Thrones. Well, if we make these two, you know, if they're looking at it through the scope of or the lens of Game of Thrones. So if they're, what do people love about Game of Thrones? Well, like the dragons and the sex. Well, it's already about the dragon reborn, but there's not flying dragons, but, you know, sex. So here we go. You know, so that... They're pushing some of that stuff, I think, a little, a little much. So my, the, the, my concern with what I've seen so far is the lack of humor. And that's the one thing that I loved about Wheel of Time. Um, Like, is I there was always a really good laugh in so many in all of the books, but there were so many really good laughs. Like I like, you know, Josh. I think I've shown you pictures of like my my kitchen cabinets. I've got pages from books all over them, so I can read them in the morning. And one of them is the chapter from book five, A Sense of Humor where Rand tells the joke, the Aiel being like, you never laugh, Randolph, or, Mm -hmm. you know, Analia just told you a joke and it was really funny. Why didn't you laugh? And like, you just don't have a sense of humor. And Rand like stops and tells them this joke that's very Two Rivers humor, but about politeness. And the Aiel are just like, well, surely it's about the water. You know, like, isn't the point of this story the water? And they don't get that it's a joke at all. And, like, that kind of, I mean, miscommunication is a theme throughout the entire books. Like, both used as plots and also as humor. But, like, I hope that we don't lose the funny. And it was, like, Matt's character definitely had some really good one-liners. Like, um... Like the the you know this is the lady that shoots fireballs so why don't we stay close to her right you know excellent line but I I hope it doesn't take itself too seriously. Brand had a good joke too with the dark friend. Oh yeah, absolutely. With the um the if I even if I was gay I would do better than Matt. Right. <laughs> yeah, that, that was, was a good, good one. one. 
Um, yeah, they sprinkle so, it in here and there, but I get what you're saying. It's 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 kind of serious and it's heavy. Yeah. And and uh, so two things about that. One, everybody's grit has been upped in this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think Tom is the best example. Yes. Right. But everybody's grit is up and everybody's a little older and more gritty. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's because they're the series is comparing itself to Game of Thrones. I don't know. Uh, or maybe that's just how they felt they could just make it a little easier on themselves to 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 pull off this epic fantasy rather than trying to pull off a ton of subtle, subtle acting. Because in the books, we spend a lot of time in the characters' heads, and it's very hard to act sometimes and keep it interesting show after show in the TV. Um, the other thing that the seriousness brought to you are my favorite two characters who are very serious people the entire series, Moraine and Lan. Mm-hmm. I mean, these two characters, I mean, Moraine is no nonsense. Right. And she's like one of the most reliable, even though in the books at first we're not sure she's good, she's bad, Ace said I, what's going on. Um, we, we, for me anyway, when I was reading the book, she became one of the characters I counted on to know what the heck is going on. Right. You know, she was like a reliable character and she was serious. She has an aim. She has a purpose. She doesn't deviate from it. And um, and and she, she's serious in land as her water is, you know, right there right. Uh, in the same level. And I enjoyed their acting in the TV show and the casting of them immensely. And so I'm wondering if their um, seriousness as sort of the in some ways the leads right now in my mind sort of the leads um, is uh, what's keeping the first three episodes as serious as they were. And perhaps as we go into episodes without them where they aren't, you know, the central uh, uh, creator of the action or guide of the action that some of the other character traits of the other characters that are not so serious can come through in the episodes. That'd be my hope. Right. That's actually a very solid point, because every time Matt got a good liner, Maureen was out of earshot. Right. The Rand and Dark Friend, no Maureen in sight. Right. And yeah, that's a good that's a good, good point. I do also think, though, there is some humor in the seriousness of Lan. Like there's definitely (laughs) like when you're reading some of the things that come out of his mouth, you're just like, what a tool. Like there's part of it. There's part of his like his speech and just his actions and stuff that are just laughable. He's just too serious, right? Like, so, you know, hopefully we'll get something, some sort of, you know, comic relief. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, um, he had some good looks. I like this actor. He had some good, like subtle looks, like just kind of communicated how he felt about the situation. And you could tell he was like kind of, doing his version of an inner eyeball role, you know, um, <laughs> or the, the tub scene, which I'm so glad they didn't have sex in the tub. Um, oh my God. That was a whole thing for me. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> I, I would have been like, come on, please just don't, don't over sex this up. And, and they didn't as far as we know. And, um, but Lan was like, the water could be warmer. And she's like, Oh, it's not so bad. And it's like, she's not getting what he's saying. He's like the, the water could be warmer (laughs) (laughs) she heats up she heats it up it's like a little little um uh parody kind of you know like even though he's a warder you know from reading the books we know his backstory and this guy's like 
you know, a huge, a huge catch for a water. For he's Brian. a king. <laughs> yeah, he's a king. So, you know, uh, we get to see a little bit of edginess. And I thought that kind of character dynamic friction, I wouldn't quite call it humor, you know, necessarily humor, but it started to touch the humor and and uh, the appreciation of the um, uh, the intimacy these characters share. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he could have pushed a little bit the 90 of like, you know, how did you follow me? Like, how did you find me? And it could have been funny. Like, it, it was, like, real close to him mm. being, like, a little too obsessed with it. Like, it was in the books. It, it was so close to being humorous. But with Maureen, that kind of leads me to my other question, is with Maureen being so injured, which was not the case in the books, mm-hmm. like, where are they going with that whole thing? Right. You know, I mean, I guess it was a way to bring in the eyes to die that have Loghain and kind of bring that further along in the story. and. Mm-hmm introduce you to Leandrin, that witch. Um, but I don't know. I, I'm in, I'm curious as to where they're going with that whole thing, too. Mm-hmm. But. Right. Right. So, I think, maybe, we should talk about perhaps the things that we loved and then maybe wrap it up. That sounds good. Yeah. All right. So, anything anybody particularly loved about the show. I loved showing the ceremony for Egwene getting her hair braided mm-hmm. and being a part of the women's circle. I thought that was really cool and really powerful. Um, again, Matt somehow becoming my favorite character. <laughs> that is Did such a change for you. Did not see that coming a mile away. Um, and let's see. Those are definitely my top two. And then even though I'm really confused as to why they brought Tom in the way he did, the way they did, I did love the character and what he taught Matt and kind of all of those nuggets of wisdom that he dropped and all of the experience. Like, I did like that part of it. Um, and that they're trying to to explain. It's weird. There's stuff that they're le- a lot of stuff they're leaving out from the books, but a lot of stuff they're trying to explain, too, like the Manetherin song and things like that that... I love that they put those nuggets in there. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Like I think it was definitely fan servicey, but at the same time being its own thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm still excited. I'm, you know, as much as many questions as I have, I'm still excited to see where it goes. Anything that you're particularly hoping for? <laughs> Besides Bale Toman. <laughs> <laughs> um, you do be hoping for the yeah, Dolman. I, I do be hoping. <laughs> for um, I, I hope that I am excited by loyal like i hope when they get to him that he just makes my heart happy that's all i need oh and you know i'm just really curious to see where all of this goes like Mm -hmm. logan was never very like for a hot second in the first book and it was at a distance like you see him for three seconds it's not even so i'm curious to see where they go with his character um but yeah i'm looking forward to loyal when he pops up Josh, what about you? So some of my concerns are also what I've liked the most. Like, I like that they're all in. They're clearly <laughs> all in on this. I mean, it's not, it's, they're, they're, they're really going for it. I really see the commitment in the sets, in the um, CGI work, in the costumes, the world building. Uh, very, very happy that they're going for it. We're not getting a cheap product, mm-hmm. you know. Will they be able to execute it? That's a whole different thing. I mean, that's really almost takes 
some you know magic of its own to to, to work um the other thing i like is i really like the casting i'm really happy with the casting uh the quality of the acting um uh rosamond pike she, you know she's been out like she put out like four films in like 18 and 19 she is a busy actress and her commitment to the character is awesome um yeah. she's just all in i really like it um so i'm very happy with the casting very happy with the commitment to the show i like the magic weaving uh I, it's kind of beautiful to watch it's something we really haven't seen before in any of our magic films or magic tv shows uh so i'm hoping there's 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 more of that um as far as like favorite scenes go um i think i really liked the scenes uh with tom and i like the scenes uh with uh moraine and and lan the most uh the scenes that i'm not liking as much are the parents scenes he's, he's just not as interesting to me yet and i right. i think i think in the book that might have been kind of kind of the you know the way i was in the book so yeah they're love or hate parent yeah they're yeah love I, I mean i don't i don't i don't i didn't hate him i just didn't find him as interesting mm-hmm. i really didn't hate him there's nothing to hate him for i just didn't uh just didn't find him as interesting and so here i'm not finding him as interesting um and I, I also really like Matt of the of the five. I think he's he's um his character um really kind of captured his inner world, uh, perhaps better than say Rand's uh, character. Um, and we spend a lot of time in Rand's inner world in the books, so we'll we'll see if that 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 gets better. Yeah. So I I loved seeing the stuff that I wasn't expecting to see because I like for me winter night doesn't exist because Rand never saw it. Right. So getting to see that, getting to see the white cloaks, like without somebody, one of our main characters around and interacting with them, just getting to see the white cloaks out in the wild. Freaking awesome. Um, I loved the dreams and the dream sequences that we're getting and knowing where those are going. Um, and I loved, um, I loved that. I, at least I have a feeling that all of the changes that are being made to the lore are being done with a purpose. Um, like Jennifer and I were talking about how, um, you know, making the pot, the dragon reborn, the possibility of being a woman frees them up a cup, like a couple seasons down the road to introduce the character of Halima without opening a big can of PR worms about how, you know, the dark one is the only one that can bring back souls and will purposefully make a transgendered person to punish them. Like, and I don't know if that's like, I don't think that Robert Jordan intended that, but that is how it, that's the canon that we have in the books, Mm -hmm. you know? So if a soul can be reborn into a different gendered body, right off the bat, we skirt that PR issue, you know? Um, Like making the choices of giving Perrin this, this backstory so that later on down the road, like we have a likable character. I 
I think that so much foresight, I, what I think I love the most is that you can tell that they looked at the series as a whole and said, what do we need to set up right now for the last battle if we make it to season eight? Right. What are the problems that we're going to encounter down the road that we need to start mitigating right now? Mm -hmm. And those choices have been made and they have been made in good conscience and good faith and with love and care toward keeping this series as something that I can hold dear into my into my heart, you know, without seeing like a version of Perrin, like who's not my favorite character to begin with, right? A version of Perrin that all of a sudden it is just in my face, like how much it's like he's trying to make decisions for women, right? And ultimately in the books, you know, he's wrong and he finds that out, mm-hmm. right? And it is spelled out to him. But it takes a long time, and it's hard to sit through that. Right. You know? Well, a lot of fail shit's hard to shit through, too. <laughs> Jesus. Right, right. But maybe by making this change, right, mm-hmm. all of that fighting might actually be heart-wrenching instead of impossible. Well, and you also, I mean, even with the timeline, you also don't know just how long they would spend on any of that either. Right. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully not three seasons. No. Like it was in the books. Like it felt like three books. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I hope that they looked, uh, I know that they looked and tried to think of what has to be told. Yeah. And how are we going to get there quickly and efficiently and who do we need to cut out and how do we talk around them not being there like what do we do in their place yeah you know, i think there's definitely you know those decisions were made and yeah i'm with you i have to believe that they were in good conscience yeah incredible incredible foresight so that and and i also loved the characters i love rosamund pike mm-hmm. is moraine like i had my headcanon moraine i don't want her anymore <laughs> i just want rosamund I had my headcanon Perrin. I don't want him anymore. I want Marcus Rutherford. I loved him as Perrin. Like, loved him. Some of the choices that are being made, like, we'll see what it, we're, we'll see where that goes. But I loved seeing him as Perrin. I loved Nynaeve. Oh, my God, the braid flip. Mm-hmm. I just, my baby, I just want to, like, cuddle her as she's cleaning those stones out of anxiety Mm -hmm. you know I just want to hold her and say you're gonna be okay you know so I'm like and that's and that's really the thing is like they've stayed true to these characters that I deeply care for and have for decades Mm -hmm. so that's the other thing that I'm just really appreciative of right so yeah any last thoughts before we wrap it up? No, I'm looking no, forward to seeing more episodes. That's for yeah. sure. Can't wait. <laughs> and talking to you all about them. And whoever, yeah. whoever else can join us. Well, thanks to coming for coming to this special edition of Books from Earth. 
Thank you, Jennifer, for being our lovely guest tonight. Hey, Jennifer, okay. thank you. Yay! <laughs> so fun. Let's do it again. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. What do you think, Josh? You're on mute.